to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about all things related to business continuity management, disaster planning, emergency response, crisis communications, and anything where we need to prepare for the unexpected, which obviously can be quite large. Um, I want to, uh, as always, suggest if there are listeners out there that want us to talk about a specific topic, please feel free, send me an email. If you go to the Voice America page for Preparing for the Unexpected, there's a button there that says uh, send the host an email. Feel free. You know, let me know what you want to talk about. We'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about it instead. I also want to let everyone know that uh, the Continuity and Resilience Today conference at the end of May in Toronto, I won't be there now. I will be interviewing some of the speakers for the show, so you'll get to hear some of the things they have to say and their great ideas and input to our industry. So feel free to check out the website. Uh, For those of you that uh, may not know, it was the old uh, World Conference on Disaster Management. So just go to wcdm.org and uh, there will be a link there to the conference. Please check it out. And uh, if you see me walking around with uh, recorders or microphones, you know, pop in and say hello and, uh, you know, maybe we can get you on the show for a comment or two then. So this week's show, we're going to continue on from what we talked about last week. Last week, we were talking about the challenges of business continuity management or disaster recovery programs. We're going to continue with that today because uh, I did have a, a, a lengthy list in front of me here and we only got through uh, roughly half of some of the, the key points. Obviously, depending on the industry you're in and the uh, your location and the size of your organization, some of the challenges that I go through will be uh, applicable and some of them may not be as applicable. You know, they, they may be applicable on a smaller scale, but still these over my 20 plus years, I think I'm at 21 now, 22 years uh, working in this industry, these are things that I come across all the time. You know, no matter matter the, the, the organization, where it is or what they do, on some point, and some, sometimes it's, a, you know, a larger scale, sometimes it's on a smaller scale, but I will always encounter some of these uh, problems, uh, challenges that uh, I talked about. Last week, just a re- uh, quick recap, we talked about uh, starting with the worst case scenario. Sometimes that's too large to, to where to start your program. We talked about having dedicated resources, so someone who actually does business continuity management or disaster planning within your organization, you know, and not as a part-time basis, because usually if it's a part-time basis, anything production-related, you know, or uh, client-related, customer-related is always going to take precedence, and then your BCM program tends to fall by the wayside and becomes an afterthought. Uh, Understanding your scope. You know, when you start out your program or even when you're doing small pieces of it, whether it be a test or, or something else, 
understand your scope so you don't end up starting you know, with having an idea of doing X, but you end up creating Y and it takes you twice as long to do it, more money to do it, more resources, and people can't figure out why. So, you know, you have to be able to manage your scope and managing the changes in scope, obviously. Uh, the operational uh, organizational timeframes, you know, be aware of, of the times that, you know, you can't approach uh, organizations, you know, or uh, specific departments. This time of year, uh, I believe it's actually in the next day or so, uh, the end of RRSP season, which would mean anybody who's in that industry, you don't go knocking on their door for information because they are focused on something else. And you've got to know that, you know, don't make a plan to do business uh, impact assessments during that period. You know, you have to be aware of some of these blackout periods. The other one is understanding um, what a program is and what a project is. A project, by definition, has a small has a start and an end and a set deliverable. A program has a bunch of those uh, projects moving towards a specific goal, like creating an ongoing program. You know, the project would be BIA's risk assessments, uh, maybe a test in there somewhere, uh, developing contingency strategies. But you put that all together, and that creates the program. Making sure you have executive support and keeping that support, keeping them informed, uh, making sure they are aware of what's going on, what, what your hurdles are so they can help you get through some of that and remove those hurdles. And if need to, you know, reiterate the message of how important it is to have a business continuity program in place for the organization and what it does, the benefits. You know, so making sure uh, you keep your executive support aware and you know, keep it going so everyone else is aware that that support is there. And the last one we talked about last week is keeping a focus on people. If you're creating your business continuity plan with the idea that systems will be your focus, you know, making sure you have your applications up and running, um, it's probably not going to work out too well. And people are going to kind of be upset that you're not really focusing on them. You know, they, at the end of the day, the program has to help people, whether it be clients, customers, employees, you know, the community you've got to make sure that the people aspect is there and that people are, it's people that will help create these plans and it's people that are going to be impacted when something occurs. So that's a quick recap of last week. Now let's get started with some of the new items. So we'll start with one. Um, I came across this uh, a long time ago when I was working, uh, doing some work with a client and uh, I came in to help out, and they had all these different scenarios uh, as they were putting their business contingency plans together. Um, I believe I was speaking with someone in finance. If I, if I can see the person's face, but so hopefully I'm, I'm got their department correct. And they had this list of dis different scenarios of we need a plan that addresses this, and we need a plan that addresses that. We need another plan that does this. And when we were chatting, uh, we just kind of got to the point where I said, you know what, all these different scenarios, they're triggers for three basic plans, people, places, and things. Every disaster you can think of will fall into one or more of those buckets. Every disaster will, will impact people on, on some level. If not people, then a place. If not a place, and by place, I, I mean, you know, communities, uh, facilities, 
you know, it could be uh, locations, you know, floods that impact uh, uh, manufacturing buildings or office towers, you know, things like that. Um, and things, your processes and your technology. And by extension, I always have a 3.5, so to speak. If you have your uh, clients and customers, you know, and they're all identified and you want to make sure they have a plan, they should have disaster recovery programs or, or business continuity programs in place that address the same thing, people, places, and things. And from my, my chat with this uh, gentleman in finance, we realized, you know what, why should we have 20 different binders of plans or that people try and match the situation to the scenario? Because there could be thousands, if not millions of different scenarios that can happen, you know, times of day, times of the week, times of the month, times of the year, you know, uh, different uh, application uh, uptimes and downtimes and uh, regulatory deadlines that are going on throughout, you know, different times of the year that there could just be so many different things. And we just got chatting and he said, you know, every disaster will fall into one of these buckets. So let's create a plan that deals with what we do when our people are gone regardless of why they're gone. And I mention that because a few years ago when the pandemic um, scare, I guess I could say, you know, H1N1 and, and some of the other uh, viruses that were out there, and they're still out there, you know, in different places, uh, some groups were creating brand new plans. Well, if you already had a plan to do with, deal with when your staff are not there, you know, when your clients cannot uh, provide you the service or the product you need. If you already have that in place, then the pan a pandemic is a trigger for that same plan. You know, how you deal with your when your employees are gone. They could be gone because they've all got the flu. They could be gone because um, there was a fire uh, somewhere or there uh, an, an automobile accident that has blocked off a main road and people can't get to the office, you know, a snowstorm, uh, a pandemic as well. It could be any of those things. It all comes down to the same thing. All those are different triggers for the same plan. What do we do when we're short people? So think of that, um, people, places and things. That could actually help you define and document, you know, some of the contingencies. Um, because sometimes they're already in place. You don't need to create a whole new plan. I, I remember having a conversation with quite a few people over the years who, um, you know, when we talk about what do we do when we, we reduce staff, uh, you know, 10%, 20%, 30 40 50 or whatever, and they said, you know what, through the summer, big deal. You know, 20% of the staff is gone almost all the time anyway because of vacations, you know, or illness. So we're covered. We already know what we do. You know, we have enough staff to go through, you know, and move things out. We just extend, you know, call center hours by an hour, you know, um, in this site you know, a little longer or, you know, we half the staff comes in an hour later so that, uh, you know, they, they work the same hours. They just extend the call center hours or, as an example. So sometimes it's easier to think that way. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. Um, I've been finding that more and more people seem to be uh, looking at uh, continuity plans with, with people and places, you know, on the same lines. When you lose your facility, you can lose it either, you know, from a flood, a fire, a terrorist attack, um, some other, you know, traumatic event. Your facility is still unavailable. 
regardless of the trigger. Yes, the trigger may result in some other actions that you need to execute. Some may have you know uh, more severe uh, impacts than others. But the bottom line is you still don't have your facility. So what do you do? Everybody works at home. We go to our alternate site. We redirect all our work to other, other locations, you know, whatever it may be. So um, sometimes think when you think about it that way and you're trying to communicate that to people who have no, no idea about business continuity management or, or how to develop or what your know, contingency strategies or what to think about when developing contingency strategies, when you break it down to people, places, and things, sometimes the light goes on. And then they're able to start comprehending what it is you're trying to do. So on your end, as the BCM professional, you may still be coming up with different scenarios. You know, what do we do when this happens? What do we do when this occurs? And, you know, X, Y, and Z and all these different fancy scenarios. But when you're working with people to create the contingencies and you look at it from a people, places, and things, and then, as I mentioned, you know, an extension with, with your partners, you know, and your customers who should have people, places and things plans as well. You can then start mapping that back to some of these scenarios that you come up with. What do we do on a Tuesday afternoon when it's a full moon, you know, in the third month and it's a deadline to uh, deliver X, Y, Z report? You know, then you can kind of map that back to your basics, people, places and things. Here's the option that I have when, when my things, my processes and technology are down. These are all the different things I can do. I can either fax it. I can either um, print it off. I can just withhold sending anything, uh, rerun last week's report or last month's payroll or whatever the case may be. And you can map those scenarios back to the basics. And when that happens, and I've uh, sat through sessions like that where some of the people who had in the room had no idea about business continuity. And I said, the light came on and they were able to start offering more suggestions because now they could comprehend. They weren't, they weren't trying to get wrap their head around, you know, a hundred thousand, you know, 2000 different scenarios that they had to try and think of. How, how, what do I do with this? What do I do with that? They could narrow it down to three things, people, places, and things. And then they could actually come up with realistic suggestions and when they would have, you know, I'll just use easy numbers for now, but 10 different strategies for what to do with people, you know, 10 different strategies when the place is gone, 10 different things, 10 different actions to do when things are not available, they could then map back, oh, number two under people um, and number five under places and number seven and eight under uh, things, we can enact those, you know, contingencies. And they were able to come up with their own different ways. And then you could actually say, oh, that actually addresses this Tuesday afternoon on a full moon, you know, uh, scenario that we came up with. So sometimes breaking it down into smaller parts and easier parts for people to understand helps them uh, contribute to the business continuity plan. And so when you're doing that, you don't end up needing you know, binders and binders and binders. And I've seen this. I, I have, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, where all these different scenarios are, are listed. You know, I remember opening up one binder and it's one of those big, thick, you know, you know, eight inch binders, you know, with massive rings in it, you know, and you flip through and the table of contents and there's three pages of all these different scenarios. 
well, who's got time to try and find out which one is applicable? But under this people, places, and things, they were able to say, oh, here, here's what we do with the people. Uh, here's our suggestion with places, and here's our suggestion with things. And they actually were able to respond better. We had a couple of tabletop walkthroughs with that, and it worked so much better. So uh, we've already come to the end of our first segment. Uh, didn't know I would be uh, speaking so much on those three pillars, as I call them, people, places, and things. Um, but we'll be right back. We're talking about the challenges of business continuity management programs. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Once again, we're talking about the challenges of business continuity management programs. In the last segment, I talked about the three pillars of business continuity plans uh, or as you're developing contingency strategies people, places, and things. And I ran out of time, but I was going to mention that uh, the next point, and which is awareness and training. When you're having those contingency strategy meetings and you're, you're talking to people, right off the bat, that those are opportunities for communication and awareness. One of the big problems I always see with many business continuity uh, management programs 
is that awareness tends to come at the end and training comes at the end. Often people will wait until they have, you know, a, a strategy in place. It's been developed, which could take, you know, a year, year and a half, two years, or even longer, depending on, you know, the, the size and scope of what you're trying to accomplish. And then they'll do an awareness. Oh, this is what we have. This is what we did. And to me, that's more of a pat on the back. Look what we did. A kind of session. You know, look how good we are. Rather than right from the beginning taking every chance you have where you're facing a user, uh, a manager, a vice president, director, whatever title, and whatever you need to meet them for, taking that as an opportunity to teach people what business continuity management is and why you're doing it and how they can contribute. As I mentioned in the last segment, with those three pillars, people, places, and things, that's a fantastic opportunity for people to understand. And if you think of it that way, you may have you know, 100 different scenarios in the background in your back pocket that you need to address. But when you're speaking with these other people, take it more as an awareness session for them to understand what you know business continuity is and why you need the, the scenarios uh, addressed and simplifying it so they understand it. And I wanna clarify, simplifying does not mean dummy down. That is not the same thing. You know, we have our own terminology, you know, uh, maximum outage and, you know, recovery time objectives and recovery point objectives and all kinds of other terms that we use. If you're not in the industry, you may not know. So why use them? So right from the beginning, speak in a way that people will understand what's going on, why you're doing what, you, what you're doing, how they contribute and what it's going to give us at the end. You know, every every opportunity to talk with someone is an awareness session. And if you're lucky enough to meet with the same people over and over again, in a way, you're also training them. You're not just uh, getting to the end and saying, okay, now we have this big binder. You know, um, you're participating in the test. That's not going to work too well because they're going to be intimidated. Then a lot of times they weren't part of putting that plan together. They're not going to know how to deal with it. And they're, not, they're going to feel rather intimidated. So from the beginning, take every chance you have to make you know everything awareness. And that includes, as I mentioned uh, last week and as a recap at the beginning of this show, with your executives as well. Keep them aware of what's going on. You know, it's constant communication. I know I had lunch uh, with a colleague a, a couple of weeks ago, and they said, what do you think one of the biggest challenges? And I said, always, 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 it's communications. You know, we'll, we'll have communications at the end of the program. As I said or just a little while ago, this is what we did. And it doesn't work. You know, that's what you did. Oh, good for you. I'm, I, this is what I do and, you know, get out of my way type thing, right? That's what people are going to think, you know, what are you doing here? You know, knocking on my door at this stage, if you've been doing that for two years and you haven't bothered to include me now, you know, so awareness and training, training, everything is an opportunity to train. When you're sitting through a, a business impact assessment or risk assessment or any other kind of workshop, 
take the opportunity. It doesn't mean to stand there, you know, and train and test people, but get them thinking about things because that's how, you know, they, they start getting their training is through communications and through some awareness and they get stronger and they start to understand what's going on, you know, and then when you do put that big binder in front of them and say, we're going to test this thing, they say, good, I understand why I know how this got here. I know what's in here. I know what's expected of me, you know, so take every opportunity you can for awareness and training. And as I say, it starts at the beginning. It doesn't, it's not at the end. If you're doing a training and awareness session at the end, when you've done, you know, you've got your binder done whether or an application, whatever you're using, you're going to run into problems. And with awareness, you also want to keep repeating that. You know, you can, uh, I know the Business Continuity Institute and other organizations, there is a, a Business Continuity Awareness Week every year. Um, I, I want to say sometime in March or sometime in May. Um, I can't remember the dates offhand right now. But then you can, that's when you can, you know, um, in, reinstate, you know, anything that you've done and re, re-communicate you know, uh, your program, you know, posters up on the wall or email communications or lunch and learn sessions during that week, you know, podcasts, sending them to this show to listen to different episodes, you know, every little bit helps, you know, and that can t- keeps the awareness going. You know, another problem with awareness and training is it becomes a one-time thing. You know, they do the awareness at the end, you know, now that we've got our big binder in place or we've got our plan to rebuild all our applications, you know, or move facilities, here's our awareness session, and then nothing happens again. You know, you could go have months or years go by and nobody ever knows what's going on, but yet they are expected to remember all of that three years down the road when something happens. Awareness is continuous and training is continuous. As I said, the workshops with training you know, teach them little bits of why you're doing things and what things are. That doesn't have to be a test. They become knowledgeable of what's going on. Then you have a tabletop walkthrough, you know, where you open up that binder and you start just casually kind of going through, you know, as, as a, walk, a dry run walkthrough. This is how it all flows together. And that'll help identify gaps, you know, or understand, hey, we didn't include such and such or we should include that or we don't really need that anymore or, hey, did we think of this? That starts also getting people trained because they start paying attention to what's happening. You have your tabletop walkthrough. Okay, now we're going to do something a little bit, bit tougher. We'll have a, uh, a test at our alternate site where we'll send 10 people over there to see if they can you know, log in and get set up. Then the next one, you'll have more people. Let's try something different. You know, let's try an entire line of business. You know, we're going to try to bring up all the uh, accounts payable, let's say, and everything involved with that at a different place, or we'll, we'll simulate that is gone. You know, and, and you keep expanding and growing. And the more people get involved with those things, they learn more. Like when you first go to school in grade one, do you know the same things that are happening in grade 13? No. You don't, you know, you learn something new each time and you keep building on what you learned in the grade before. Same thing with business continuity. When you're starting off, you start off small, you start off with the you know, awareness and then you build 
that awareness. And then the knowledge starts growing and the skill levels get stronger and the training gets harder and tougher and, you know, new challenges for people so that when something does happen, people are prepared. Now, with that one, I've also gone into uh, some of the testing and I'm going to continue on with testing. So we've gone from awareness and training now into uh, the testing. Testing the plans, uh, you know, and your contingency strategies. And by that, I don't just mean the IT plans. Um, I, I've been to many places, and I'm sure many of uh, you listeners have as well, where a lot of the testing is focused on technology, you know, recovering a mainframe or bringing up all the servers or making sure the network is up and email and, you know, the voice system. And I'm not saying you don't do that because you do. They are obviously key points, but they are not the only point, you know, uh, that needs to be addressed in your program. You need to make sure there are tests that involve your crisis management team and all the various aspects in that. If you're doing a full-scale simulation test, you want to make sure that if you have notification applications that you're using to send out messages, you test it. If you have a central phone line where you update and leave messages for uh, testers, you know, yes, you know, end users be on site here, you know, here's our current status and, you know, whatever other messages you, you use that phone line for, test it, make sure, you know, uh, with these uh, notification applications, you can also send out mass um, calls to, you know, all your entire, well, your entire employee base, actually, you know, so, you, or you can just test different uh, aspects of it. You know, want to make sure everybody in finance gets this message. Well, if you've got it set up where you can just send everyone in finance a message, send it, test it, see if it works, get them to call you back, you know, confirm it. A lot of that sometimes gets forgotten about, even though you're always hearing about, you know, call tree tests. Well, call tree tests, you know, um, I've never, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, different for some people, but uh, in Often, I never see very high return uh, calls when it comes to call tree tests. You know, um, I, I, I know a place uh, about three years ago, they ran a call tree test for the area within um, the division that I was uh, doing some contract work for at the time. And over half the people came in on Monday and said, yeah, I got your phone call. <laughs> well, the idea was to get them to call back right away on the Saturday so they could see, you know, who who would be available if something happened at that time. And over half the people just kind of went, well, I'll just tell them on Monday I got the phone call. <laughs> so it, it didn't really work too well. So you want to test all of that and, you know, make sure you communicate why you're doing things. Your tabletop walkthrough, you know, is supposed to be more casual, you know, and, and more loose so that people aren't pressured, you know, right to the opposite spectrum where you can have an unannounced test. Uh, once you've got everything in your program up and uh, running and documented, you know, an unannounced test is uh, we're now in disaster mode. Go fix it. Uh, I remember being at a luncheon with a vendor and chatting with um, a financial uh, company a representative who was there for this uh, luncheon. And he's a couple of weeks beforehand, he happened to mention this was in downtown Toronto that they had just had an unannounced test a couple of weeks before. And I, and I was interested because uh, you don't really hear about that too often. 
And I said, well, what happened? And he mentioned that, well, it took him a couple of hours for people to kind of calm down and figure out that, oh, okay, we really need to do something. You know, that was a great way of finding out who knew what and what, you know, was missing. And they identified gaps right up until then. And then when things started to kick in, they were able to start bringing up systems and, you know, rebuilding what they needed to do, got the communication protocols in place. So you can go from, you know, something easy like a tabletop or just a walkthrough to various component tests. I don't suggest starting out right off the bat with a full simulation test because you'll just cause problems. You'll impact your users. You'll impact your clients and customers. You've, you've got to have something mature, you know, by the time you get there. And you want to test each little piece as you go forward. You know, as I mentioned, like from grade one to grade 13, at the end of each year, you have some sort of a test or an exam or whatever the case may be to find out where you are. You know, can we move forward or do we still need to address, you know, our current situation if we found too many gaps to be able to move forward? So in your tests, you want to do the same thing, tabletops to components to, you know, various component level tests and, and making sure that all the aspects in your program are being covered and addressed till you get to the point where you can do a simulation to the point where you could do an unannounced. Now, unannounced tests you know, are are very rare. It's not often you you hear about those, and I was surprised to hear about it from this uh, financial um, representative um, that they did that. But you want to do that, so keep an eye out, you know, for tests, you know, and make sure that they're they're relevant, you know. It, and, and I I really like the expression, you know, your your Testing the plan, you're not planning the test. Yes, I understand some planning might have to go into it so you don't impact um, production activities or live systems that are going on. But the aim is to test the plan, right? And all the processes involved and all the communication strategies needed to make it a, a success. If you put too much planning in it and it doesn't represent anything that would really happen to your organization then it's not going to add a lot of value because you've, in, in in my eyes, if you've done a lot of planning, you're kind of fudging the results. You're putting in so much planning around your test that it can't fail because you want to make sure that everything passes, right? And you want to make it look good for executives. And that's understandable. But if something really did occur, would you be doing all those activities you just put in place? You know, you wouldn't have time to back up systems or or take copies of everybody's shortcuts on their desktops, you know, for users and things like that, you know, which I was actually asked to do uh, once. And I said, no, because that would never, that doesn't happen in regular business. So we're not doing it for a test. So be careful, you know, how much planning you do. You know, you want, like I said, you want to test the plan, um, not you know, spend all your time planning the test. So we've come to our second, the end of our second segment. Again, we're talking about different challenges with business continuity management programs, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show for our last segment. We're talking again about challenges with business continuity management programs and the things that I've encountered over the uh, my 20, 21 years of doing this. And uh, we've talked about so far today the pillars of business continuity uh, plans, people, places, and things. And we've talked about awareness and training and different tests. So next, let's go to um, software. Software is an interesting one uh, because it helps us out in so many ways, especially with you know documenting all of our findings from risks assessments or BIA workshops or capturing all our contingency strategies and all of our our needs you know I need the, this many people I need this many laptops desks chairs you know printers fax machines you know all all these kind of things but there's an upfront uh, problem with some of this and it's not so much the problem with the software it's what gets forgotten about the software there are some products out there that you can just buy and start using right away. You know, they're self-explanatory. That's not always the case. Some of the applications that you buy, you have to be trained on. You know, they are so detailed. And there are some out there that are very good, but they are very detailed. And you do need special training. And that training sometimes is online. And you can do that yourself, you know, at your own pace. Um, if you do it at your own pace, obviously you're not going to get started on building your program, you know, until you 
get through all that training and understand it properly and probably had more than one call to a, a help desk for clarifications. Or you have to go away and take a training course you know, with other people. And you're away again for three, four days or maybe longer you know, in a different province or a different state or depending on what it is or how fast you need that training, maybe a different country. And sometimes they can be expensive. You know, you buy it up front and then you've got your annual maintenance fees, you know, uh, to keep it going so you can keep using the, the application. Because if you let that die, then maybe you don't have all that information anymore. You don't have access to it. And you don't have it in binders. You don't have an Excel or Word documents or, or some other uh, application. So you can run into problems. So not only do you, the BCM professional, need training on this application, but once you get uh, knowledgeable with it and your skill level is high and you know how to use it properly without having to pick up the phone every time you try to do something, asking for help, and you want users to be able to use this application, you know, let's say it's uh, you've created a business impact uh, analysis form or questionnaire that needs to be uh, completed by, you know, people within your organization. Well, they're going to need some uh, training as well on how to use this. You can't just send them, you know, oh, I set you up on this application. Here, go answer these questions. Unless it's, you know, very simple where they just hit a tick box or, you know, click on a, a number, you know, on a scale of one to five. What is the, you know, what is the situation you know, that you have uh, in contingency planning for X, Y, Z, you know, uh, or fill in quickly, uh, you know, one or two word answers to questions. If it's not that simple, they're going to need training, which means you have to set up workshops. You have to find time when they are available as well and you're available and rooms to get that started. So let's say it takes you two weeks you know, to get uh, up to speed on the application itself. And another two weeks, you know, to start creating your forms and have them ready in a state to be able to distribute to people. Now you want to distribute it. Um, you've, you've got two weeks, let's say, to train people how to use that. And then you give them two weeks to use it. Well, that's two, four, six, eight weeks now. Now you're two months down the road. Now, if you remember earlier, I was talking about time frames. Where are you in that time frame? Are you up against a blackout period? You know, were you given a time frame of in six months, you, something needs to be seen? You've already lost, you know, as a deliverable, you've already lost two months now just setting up, you know, an application. So be really aware of how you're using applications. They are very good. There are many out there. They do help. They do come with some considerations that people often forget and overlook. So don't forget that, you know, training is a big piece of that and the costs. Sometimes, uh, you know, if you have to travel with the BIA uh, assessments and go all over the place, sometimes it's easier just to give someone access to an application and here's a form to fill out. You know, and you can do a WebEx or something like that and quickly walk them through. However, you've got it set up, but still know that it's going to take time. Uh, I I remember being in one situation 
um, with the last place I worked at before I became self-employed, they purchased one of these applications and uh, it came you know, with a set framework, so to speak, but it really didn't meet our needs. And it took my colleague, uh, David, months to get it configured. You know, um, David was very analytical and very good at what he did. So he was always able to find little things that didn't quite work with the application. So he was on the phone a lot. You know, how do I manipulate it to get it to this? And how do I get it to do that? So he lost, you know, a lot of time trying to get this application implemented. And I had left and I never really found out if they finally did get it implemented. But the cost was there and there was a lot of time there. You know, and at the end, you know, after a few months, you know, and after I left, it was, was it worth it? You know, could we have got something else done, you know, in the meantime and in the background, you know, have the application working. But so don't forget what uh, what some of the impacts can be by using your applications. So uh, next one, we're going to talk about program maintenance and monitoring. You know, and embedding the need to embed business continuity and disaster planning into the organizational culture. You know, how I talked about awareness and uh, every opportunity to that you're talking about business continuity, use it as awareness, you know, slash kind of quasi training session. You need to do the same thing with embedding business continuity into the culture, because by Doing that awareness and that little bit of training and the discussions that you're having with people, that will actually help embed it into the corporate culture. So that when people are talking about new projects, you know, or we're putting in new servers, we're putting in new lines, you know, to XYZ facility, then people will start to think that. You know, hey, how does this affect our current disaster um, uh, response plan? Do we need to make any changes? Do we need to update documents? Do we need to um, make a change somewhere else, you know, um, in the software, even, you know, if you're using that? Always know that uh, all of that needs to be put into the corporate culture. You know, it's not just we now have a program. Okay, now it's going to be a part of the, pro uh, the uh, corporate culture. Well, that's not going to happen. That's like, you know, walking around, talking with everybody, and then all of a sudden you've got a big hammer in your hand to go, now thou shall do. Well, that's not the way it works. You need to take that time, put the effort into it, you know, and get that embedded, get that business continuity um, plan mindset into everybody from all the levels, you know, like I mentioned last week, the support from executives, you know, from that level right to the newest person that comes in, you know, and from that, and I've been to places that they have a little brochure that when they get their hire package, you know, their first day or the day they sign their contract, whenever that is, there's a little hire package and there's a brochure in there about disaster recovery. This is what's expected of you. This is um, who you reach. Here's where you can find information, you know, whether it be an internal intranet site or something housed off site. Here's your, your username, you know, to access it. You know, here's your evacuation plan. Here's some of the key numbers. You know, here's who you would report to in a disaster. You know, if it's not your regular manager 
or something, you know, depending on how you have your crisis team set up, you know, they have that, you know, it, it's so that everyone that comes through the door has an expectation set of them with regards to business continuity. And um, I remember speaking with uh, Julia Halsney, who from the uh, Business Recovery Managers Association, um, let's see, I think it was before Christmas, um, she was on the show and um, she mentioned that they have something that new employees kind of sign. Uh, I'm hoping I remember this right. I apologize, Julie, if I'm remembering this incorrectly. Um, that says, you know, if you don't sign this form with regards to uh, business continuity and the expectations uh, of you, then you cannot, you know, complain or, you know, you know, make a fuss out of not being communicated to or understanding what needs to happen. You know, do you have to go through this checklist? And a lot of places now have that when you are hired, they have a, a checklist. You know, if there's, there's a section for business continuity, it's make contact with business continuity professional, you know, have instill a link to the internet site on your laptop, you know, make sure you have the, uh, let's say a little, communication card with the 1-800 number that you call for information, you know, in your wallet. And you have to have all this checked off and validated, you know, and if you don't want to give someone your phone number, then you sign off on that saying that, you know, I accept the risk that I will not be contacted, you know, in a disaster. And, you know, I may be floundering, wondering what I need to do. So, you know, embedding it in the culture, that's one way, you know, new hires. There's also others in a lot of business continuity professionals sometimes uh, would rather be approached rather than being proactive and approaching others. I reached out at one place. I joined the health and safety committee, you know, because health and safety sometimes identifies, you know, when they do their facility inspections, um, you know, all of a sudden there's all these computers, um, you know, plugged into a, an extension cord. That can be hazardous. That can be a danger. They identify that. And if something happens, well, that's a trigger for my plans. I want to know about that. You know, and I want to get that addressed so that it doesn't happen, right? That's a part of my role. You know, that's business continuity. So I recommend becoming a part of the Health and Safety Committee and understanding some of the regulations and the things that need to happen around there, you know, and the safety concerns. You know, Safe, if something isn't uh, correct and a fire starts or, you know, if you're a printing um, manufacturing shop and a big roll of paper crashes into a printer, well, now what are you going to do? You know, you're, you activate your business continuity plan, right? So you want to make sure that that big roll of paper is properly secured at all times. And you find that out through your inspections, who is or which is done by uh, often the health and safety committee. Information security. Reach out to those folks. I know uh, right now um, a lot of the information security people are working with business continuity. You know, um, uh, many that I work with you know, have have done that. You know, they work very closely together. Reach out to them if you're not a part of that group. You know, and be, because they have their incident management process as well. You know, you want to make sure they work together. You know, they're going to have a process. You've got a process. Maybe you can combine them, and it just depends on who needs to be involved, depending on the situation. Change management, you know, the project management office. Projects will always, you know, instill some sort of change in your organization. Become a part of that. Know what's going on. You know, if uh, 
a change request has been submitted to change an application, well, okay, that's fine. You've reconfigured it, but your disaster recovery plan has a different configuration. So you want to make sure that, you know, if there's a change request going in for whatever it may be, you know, uh, an application, you know, new systems, new lines, anything, that there's a section for business continuity. You know, how does this impact our existing plans? And how does what we're implementing change existing processes? Your dependencies may change. You may require a different, uh, you know, the change the order and way things are, are documented because of this new process being implemented. You know, get involved with those groups. Become aware of what they're doing and understand the, the dependencies and what they're implementing and how what they're doing changes what you have in place with your uh, business continuity uh, plan that's you know the, you have put together and that you've been testing because you could get to a test and find out you've been testing the wrong thing you know or you get to a test and find out why doesn't this work well it doesn't work because three months earlier something was implemented you didn't know anything about it so you want to make sure you're involved with all of that you know it doesn't mean you take the lead you know you just a seat at the table to know what's happening so we've come to the end of our show and we've been talking about the challenges of business continuity management programs i hope uh, there's been a lot of information for everybody uh, again if there's a topic you want us to talk about please feel free be in contact with me send me an email uh, I'll, uh, info at stone-road.com, you know, and let me know and we'll see about getting on the show. And again, if you're in the Toronto area in May 29th to 31st, come down to the Continuity and Resilience Today conference, come see me, and maybe we'll get you on the show. You can give us a quote and we can uh, put you on the air. In the meantime, thanks for listening and stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.